listening to the Ornstein and Chapman podcast on The Athletic every week, bringing you exclusive and original stories and interviews. Uh, we'll offer a gender-setting insight from inside the game from David, but also from our writers across The Athletic. I know when we were having meetings to start this podcast, we were very keen. Uh, it's not just going to be Arsenal. Uh, you are you are known for your <laughs> Arsenal connections, but it's going to be so much more than Arsenal. Yep. And that really has gone to pot inside <laughs> the first two podcasts. It has indeed. And um, I think it's fair enough at the moment <laughs> that we talk about Arsenal. We'd, it'd be a bit of a dereliction of duty if we weren't. Yes. We'll look at who, who are the contenders for the vacant job and the structure of the club as well. Ju- just take me back to how Unai Emery was dismissed on Friday of last week. Yeah, well, it wasn't actually for Friday when the decision was taken. The decision was essentially taken on a trip uh, that the executives made to the USA uh, to see Stan and Josh Kroenke, uh, Stan the owner and Josh, uh, his son and a director. And on that trip were Vinay Venkateshan, the managing director, Rao Sanlehi, the head of football. Uh, and that followed several weeks, by the sounds of it, of analysis over Arsenal's disappointing results and performances uh, and they came away from that meeting by the sounds of it with a decision made so actually Unai Emery went into the Eintracht Frankfurt game unbeknown to him as being a dead man walking and after that match the uh, the news was delivered uh, on the Friday to him uh, we were starting to get stuff overnight. So even if they'd beaten Eintracht Frankfurt if there had been a comprehensive result the decision had already been made? It had and you could look at all sorts of hypotheticals and it may have made things slightly different. They may have delayed confirming their decision. But the way Arsenal were playing, I don't even think that result or performance was a great surprise. And so uh, it was very clear after the match that things were starting to happen. You didn't know exactly when it would be, but it, it was certainly uh, no surprise when, when we got confirmation in the morning uh, and we broke the story that it was looking increasingly likely and, and just a couple of hours later we got the full detail. Who actually makes the decision to get rid of Una Emery? Essentially, it's Raul Sanlehi. He holds the power at Arsenal now, but in practice, it should be the co-CEOs and, and they they talk all the time and there's a lot of controversy when that uh, decision was announced to replace uh, Ivan Gazidis as chief executive with with two leaders um, because who will make the final call was the the impression we got that perhaps is a bit of an issue because um, Vinay Venkatesham is clearly very closely involved but he he is previously more on the commercial side uh, Raul Sanlehi more on the football side um, and then Edu coming in more recently as well what level of sway does he have as the technical director but it's it's Raul Sanlehi's recommendation to Stan and Josh Kroenke as the owners uh, that will be approved in normal circumstances given now, your given your knowledge of football clubs not just Arsenal other mm-hmm. ones as well does that sound like too many cooks you could say yes, but essentially if it's Raul Sanlehi's recommendation to the ownership and that they trust his decision-making process and feel that the others are, are there to support him, then I would say it's not amazingly surprising. It's slightly different to other clubs, but you, we could 
we could pick and choose at other clubs as well and say there are too few decision makers or too inexperienced decision makers. If you look at Ed Woodward, for example, at Manchester United making football decisions with no technical director. That's kind of the opposite of what Arsenal yeah. are doing and so, that's criticised too. Sam Lee, Manchester City uh, correspondent for The Athletic. Oh, I wasn't going to bring you in yet, yeah. but, but <laughs> as, as you're sitting here and there are lots of links between Arsenal and Manchester City, which we'll do later. How many people make decisions at City? Uh, Ferran Soriano is more kind of purse strings. Chiki Bagheerastein's the director of football. Um, they would be the two main influential ones as it, when it comes to signings. Everyone else is an influential voice, but you know, commercial side of yeah. it. So yeah, I'd probably say those two and the chairman Khaldun Al Mubarak yeah. are the most influential. I mean, c- certainly when decisions come out of City, for example, it is those two really who are attached to those decisions. Right, yes. Maybe the chairman as well, but in the, in the main chief executive and director of football. Yeah, they will too. kind of, you know, if, if it's a player for argument's sake, they will decide which ones they're going to go after for, you know, technical reasons and, and financial reasons. And then they will go and speak to the chairman and he'll go, yeah, fine, carry on. It's not my job to be defending Arsenal, but I, I think if results were going better, then we wouldn't even be having this conversation. And, and the decision by committee is executed at Manchester City, according to Sam. And at Liverpool, under Michael Edwards, Jurgen Klopp, various others, yeah. in, in Mike Gordon, uh, FSG in the decision-making process. Chelsea, slightly different. Marina Granovskaya is Roman Abramovich's um, person on the ground. Uh, Eugene Tenenbaum, a long-term associate of, of uh, Abramovich as well. I don't know how closely involved he is these days. Um, Michael Emanalo's left. You could say there was a football vacuum at Chelsea as well. They all do it different ways. We're picking up on it because things aren't going well. I suppose, with the exception of Emanalo leaving Chelsea what all those other clubs have certainly certainly Manchester City certainly Liverpool over the last four or five years I mean Edwards and Co were in place weren't they before Klopp got yes, there there was the, the it was called the transfer committee under mm. Brendan Rodgers derided uh, and derided in that sense I suppose what the other examples you mentioned they have stability whereas it feels like at Arsenal it's been a little bit of a revolving door yeah. when it comes to these executive roles Gazidis not not there anymore. Mislintat not there anymore. Obviously, Wenger not there anymore. So those that have held power have gone, and some of their decisions are still affecting the club. Yeah, and so when that new uh, brave new world was uh, instigated by Gazidis in what 2017 time, when I think it was first Mislintat as head of recruitment, which was a big moment. Wenger letting someone else come in. And then we saw Dick Law, the long-term, long-time contract uh, negotiator, phased out and Hasfami brought in. Hasfami is very influential as well, so another cook in there. And also Jason Rosenvelt, who um, is, he invented Stats DNA, which Arsenal bought. So he brings statistical uh, perspectives to the decision-making process. But yeah, if we go back, um, you, you've got the situation that was instigated by Gazidis, bringing in Mislintat and then Raul Sanlehi as head of international relations. So it's quite a different role that he's in now Ivan Gazidis leaving Wenger leaving and at the time they were looking to be competitive by the start of this season but that change has kind of thrown that all up in the air and um, they're in a position now where they need to address things very quickly otherwise they're going to be looking at a fourth season out of the Champions League so who do they want and do different members of that group of people want different managers i would edu think of someone different to sanlehi for example yeah quite possibly raul sanlehi was very keen on luis enrique 
first time round, but the illness for his daughter, who sadly passed away, um, meant that he wasn't even a consideration in 2018 uh, with that situation. Uh, and he would have been very keen on him. Again, there were reports that came out of Spain that he had been approached a few weeks ago, very quickly played down, but they're, they're sort of lingering. And people I've spoken to said if, if Raul had his uh, choice of the market, uh, he would pick Luis Enrique. Uh, but obviously Luis Enrique is now back in the national team job with Spain. We're told that he's keen on Maximiliano Allegri, formerly of Juventus. That brings all sorts of issues to the fore. And in terms of other names that we're led to believe are in the frame, uh, Maurizio Pochettino was admired in 2018. Of course, he wasn't available then and probably wouldn't have come anyway. But certainly Arsenal would, would seriously consider taking him. They see him as a credible option for the job now. How he feels, we don't know. Uh, there are others like Brendan Rodgers, didn't make an interview at the time in 2018. Uh, Still highly thought of, but um, we've been led to believe that this isn't the right time for him to move. Uh, and then you start to to expand it out to other candidates like Mikel Arteta. What we understand is that Arsenal, as a first port of call, are looking for candidates who are immediately available to start work. That is not set in stone. It could be expanded to bring in other names. And then you start to look towards the summer and, and you're bringing in people who are currently in work we mentioned Rogers there uh, somebody who was keen on the job before Arsene Wenger left and by the time Arsene Wenger left he had taken a job elsewhere so it was a source of frustration for him was Thomas Tuchel who's now at Paris Saint-Germain and uh, he, he was licking his lips at the sort of project and the patience that a club like Arsenal would give and Freddie Lundberg stands a chance we don't know how big a chance but they think very highly of him there and so depending on results he could be in with the shout but I do think that it will be an external candidate and I do think that despite not being in a huge rush or panic they will look to do it sooner rather than later so the comments to your column on The Athletic today. I mean, it, it, your column is fantastic, but it is also worth subscribing to The Athletic just to read the comments to your <laughs> column, which are entertaining in themselves. But there were several, several Arsenal fans saying that with your suggestion that they want someone who is readily available... As a first port of call. As a first port of call, that they're doing this on the cheap. Yes. Yeah, so I, I, and listen, you're not here to answer for Arsenal, but can you understand that perception? Well, there's a feeling from a few people I've spoken to that Arsenal don't want to spend heavily on this appointment um, because, you know, I don't know, for example, in the case of Allegri, you're going to be, have to be paying a huge salary anyway. So to start paying what's reportedly with someone like Brendan Rodgers, £15 million pounds or whatever, £12.5 million, pounds, just to get him out of the job uh, is something that I don't think Arsenal are, are looking to do. Don't forget that they're said to be pushing it quite fine with FFP, um, and so, and and they presumably want to be looking to make some transfers as well. I think it's a bit harsh to say doing it on the cheap, but I don't think they want to spend heavily to get somebody in. Your column uh, also said Allegri last time interviewed for the job badly. Yep. What did he do? So my information. Or what did he do wrongly? Wrong. Yeah. <laughs> what did he not do? Um, my information was that he spoke barely any English at all at the time, uh, and that. Uh, he couldn't even make basic small talk in English. In fact, his agent, um, Branchini, spoke more English than even Allegri did uh, Italian. So that was one thing that was off-putting. Another thing was that he asked for nine members of backroom staff to come in with him, uh, and Arsenal weren't particularly impressed by that. And some other reports, it's not my information, is that... Um, that Allegri was quite arrogant and sort of asked, presumably through his agent, um, why 
Arsenal should give him the job, almost like he was interviewing them. So it wasn't right then, but he performed very well statistically, especially in defensive areas, which is Arsenal's key problem. And that's why he was such a, a prominent candidate. Um, so, sorry, when you say he performed statistically, when they scoured his stats as yep. Juve manager, yep. then that would have that would have fitted their blueprint. Yeah, I mean, it, his defensive statistics from his time at Juventus were extremely attractive for Arsenal, given their defensive failings. You do need to qualify it by saying that Juventus, you know, most managers seem to walk Serie A, but he was very impressive in that area. However, in in attacking areas, his side didn't stack up as well as, say, Manchester City. And that's what that's part of the reason why Mikel Arteta came to the fore, uh, because of his style of play that they forecast, because obviously he, he's only been part of the Manchester City coaching setup, his style of play and... Um, his attacking intent. Some people have said that Allegri has since been working on his English and, and yeah. studying, and so that that could change things. And we do know that um, that some of the hierarchy are very fond of him. Um, but and you've got to appreciate that we're speaking to loads of different sources with these sorts of things, and we're not professing to be one hundred percent accurate. But I've also been told that he doesn't want to consider anything until the end of the season and survey his options then, and that he has reservations over Arsenal's squad. So, and people say, you know, perhaps in in the column we were contradicting ourselves. We're not. We're just explaining the different variables in this. So, if I follow your train of logic, just going back to Unai Emery, he must have done a very good presentation. He must have interviewed very well. Yeah, I mean, his interview was said to be good um, and a presentation was part of it. I was told by a couple of people that um, the presentation was uh, in part helped put together by some people he formerly worked with at Paris Saint-Germain. So we don't know whether this was some ingenious interview he, he he was seen as he was seen as a right choice at that point in time he came up pretty late from a public point of view the friday before he was appointed on the monday or we broke the story that, that the agreement was in place on on monday and then i think it was an officially announced on the wednesday so the monday was the key day for emery i think it was the 21st of may the friday the 18th Mikel arteta had been in contact with some people at arsenal who who he knew from being a player there and um the uh, the impression they got was that he thought he had the job and i know that he was he was very upset at not getting that job they they thought they were they had it and so um it was a surprise publicly at least that emery got it uh sam lee uh manchester city correspondent for the athletic do you have an understanding on what Mikel arteta might want to do I think I think it might be different now. Um, for starters, obviously, the Guardiola reign was just kind of getting underway. Uh, they just won the, the first title, obviously, but you wouldn't be thinking at any point about Guardiola leaving. He, I think he'd signed a, a new contract at the end of that season as well. Um, obviously, now, Guardiola said a couple of times in the last couple of weeks that he will see out his contract at least. He said he's open to staying beyond that contract you know, potentially signing a new one, and that contract has another year after. Yes, twenty twenty one. That 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 expires. I know a lot of people seem to think he's going to go at the end of this season. I think David, you've you've heard that as well. I've heard that as well. Mm. I, I, I must say, the people I've heard closest to him insist he's going to be around. Insist mm. he's still planning for next season. Sometimes that paranoia of being a journalist makes you think: Are they too close? <laughs> you know, is this? Are they are they protecting him? But you've got you've got to go with that. You've got to take that at its at its word, I suppose. Who do you think? Just on a different subject, who do you think? More, who do you think are more paranoid, journalists or football managers? Football managers, by far. Yeah. yeah. 
You're, well, you're obviously not mixing the same journalistic circles people, I'm mixing People it. around managers say you, to be a successful <laughs> manager, you have to be um, a psychopath. <laughs> there's more well. stuff There's more stuff that gets written about them more often, yeah. apart from your replies and comments sections. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. Sorry, anyhow, back to the point. Yes. yes. Wait, wait, wait. Guardiola and Arteta. Yeah, so, I mean, may, maybe there's, you know, conversations or maybe Arteta's looking at it and thinking... Maybe in six months I, I could be in the frame for this one, or maybe on 18 months is a long time in football, and what it will come down to is if he wants to wait around. But if Guardiola does leave at the end of his contract, which I would probably say right now is the most likely scenario, City are going to want to look within. Mm. I think that's something we were talking about yeah, yeah, yeah. last night as we were putting together my article for this morning, yeah. Monday morning, that is. Um, if they're looking from within, then it's it's going to be pretty much Mikel Arteta and there's a couple of other names you could maybe talk about and we probably will talk about mm. uh, but I'm thinking yeah if, you, if you're practical about it and you weigh it up do you want to take over City or do you want to take over Arsenal yeah I don't know it, it seems like you know all the you know the planning in place if it is City then you know they will they will have planned for it there'll be a succession plan in place whereas you know you've said some want Luis Enrique or would like Luis Enrique some want Allegri you know that doesn't add up what mm. do they want and also I'd be Curious as to w- why Arteta would be so different to Arsenal now than he was in 2018. The only difference is that uh, he's been working under Pep Guardiola for longer and winning things with Manchester City as an assistant coach. Um, uh, somebody at Arsenal said to me, there's no major difference actually between him and Freddie Lundberg other than the fact that, that uh, Arteta's been working with Pep. Others have suggested if Arsenal want him, they would advise Arteta to stay put with that Pep situation um, being a little bit unknown. You mentioned about him and Lundberg potentially being at the same level. I was speaking to a coach recently who, who knows Arteta and he, you know, he was like, well, yeah, we get on well. He's, he's a very good coach. He's done, he's done very well at City, but there's this obsession in England with being a former player or at least being a big name and he was thinking you know if I was going for this job I wouldn't have much of a chance but because Arteta used to play and you know he's 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 a big name in football he comes with this Guardiola seal of approval he's he's getting he's getting like parachuted straight into the running for these jobs whereas other coaches who have been coaches for 20 years mm. more, much more experienced arguably better as it stands at the moment pound for pound they don't get these same chances. So it's interesting that you say that he's probably on the similar level to Lundberg. Neither have been coaching for that long. But but the other thing about saying he's on a similar he's on a similar level to Lundberg might be in position, similar similar ages, you know, similar experiences of of playing top level football, but their coaching styles might be completely different. Yeah, and and I, when when you look at and this is where you can compare Arsenal and Manchester City again, really. But when you look at and Arsenal are not unique by any means. This you look at the managers that are being linked, they're very different. They're 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 very different kinds of people who seem to play different types of football. So Allegri isn't really the same as Brendan Rodgers, who might not be the same as Mikel Arteta, who might not be the same as. Luis Enrique, there's no, there's not a standard philosophy that necessarily runs through all of them. Yeah, that's a really good point. And we do need to bear in mind that a lot of this, well, almost all of this has been public speculation. We're not privy to the meetings that they're holding and and we're, we're getting bits of information and reporting them as we know them. But they may have, I don't know, Emery was a bit of an outsider. I remember looking at Emery um during the Arsenal uh, recruitment process, he wasn't being linked at all. He was 66 to 1 and he ended up getting the job. So we, 
I wouldn't rule out a couple of curveballs coming into the the picture before Arsenal make this appointment. And I wouldn't say that that we're definitely right in knowing what style they do or don't want. The one thing that's been clear is that they they want somebody who can identify with Arsenal and the Arsenal sort of ethos and DNA. They feel that these players need to be coached better. Some young players who are perhaps not fulfilling their potential. Some older players who aren't playing to the extent of their capabilities. And to also improve the atmosphere around the place. It, I mean, it's it's got pretty f- febrile inside the Emirates Stadium at times around London Colney as well. And that needs to change. Well, that's the kind of flip side of the, the coin, isn't it? in regards to Arteta being a former player and maybe he's jumped ahead of the queue. But that is important. It is important to be a figure that can galvanise a dressing room, that can that has a style and you know commands a bit of respect because you could give the job to somebody who's been working next to a big manager like Mourinho or, or Guardiola or whoever for 20 years, but you don't necessarily know who they are. You're not necessarily going to listen to their message. Whereas if Arteta walks in, people automatically, because of what he has done, will think, Okay, I'll listen to this guy. The only flip side of that, if I flip your flip side, <laughs> yeah. is which, that... Hang on, which flip side? We're on the third flip side now, the, right? The, the, this triangle can be completed by... <laughs> by um, I might turn it into a square, yeah. you don't know, so go on. Pointing out that um, at the time that Arteta was, was linked with the job last time, there were people saying that he wasn't universally popular inside Arsenal from his time there as a player. Mm. So that's another thing that can come back to haunt you as an ex-player um, or employee. Um, there are many people that think that somebody like Brendan Rodgers would be perfect for this in terms of the fact that he knows the British game, knows the Premier League, something Arsenal are looking for. He's a brilliant coach by all accounts. He can galvanise as well. We've seen what he's done at uh, Liverpool, Celtic, Leicester. And yes, he might not have worked at Arsenal before, but he kn- he knows the situation. He didn't get interviewed last time because they didn't think his character and, and sort of stats was right for them. Carlo Ancelotti is another one who knows the Premier League extremely well, carries gravitas, respect, could could surely, the way he's done at other clubs, bring bring this club together. They need a pretty major amount of work done to them. Um, some have said to me that there are some reservations about his training sessions. So there are so many factors yeah. to this. It's, it's really incredible. Whereas when you go back to Manchester City and Arteta is one of these and actually there are several former Arsenal players that fall into this category at City as well they do seem to do a good job of bringing people in and having a look at them actually from a coaching and managerial perspective within the football group yeah and i think this might be part of the fact that you know city's structure is pretty unique you know obviously they added a new club last week in india and one of the reasons Van Bronckhorst is around at the moment is, you know, when he left um, Holland, he was he was coming in to look at kind of the business side of thing, the coaching side of thing. So he was doing stuff with the youth team at City, and then he you know spent time in Melbourne. He's been over to New York. I think he's back in Manchester at the moment. He is. So that's the thing you you're looking at all different elements of the club and when Patrick Vieira was there obviously he was the reserve team manager for a while but before that he had a kind of youth technical director kind of role and I mean is it a coincidence that they're all from Arsenal because I know Arteta didn't have any coaching opportunities when he was at Arsenal yeah. and Guardiola said would well, you want to come and work with us he was like well yeah absolutely but perhaps if there had been something going at Arsenal at the time maybe, there, maybe been... there's a pathway that's blocked you know with Vieira in the past Mm-hmm. Um, Arteta three years ago and Van Brankhorst at, at the moment. I think they did make an approach to Arteta, but by which time it was too they, he was too mm-hmm. far down the line with City. You know, City seems to be very, uh, as Mark says, very sort of perceptive, very savvy, yeah, very savvy in identifying who might be uh, a future candidate. Yeah, Van Bronckhorst has been around a lot at, at City, at, at both 
matches and 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 the Etihad campus as well. He was in the director's box for the Shakhtar the Nets game last Tuesday. It maybe is a sign that he's kind of having a growing part of what's going on at City. He's being ever more included in things. He was on the training ground the following morning with Pep. Um, not not involved in training, I must add, but observing and. Um, I think he'll be watching events with Arteta quite closely, actually. I don't know if there's a succession plan involving him. I, I just think that, that it's quite an interesting one that he's there. He, he You know, he was, he was final manager. It's not it's no. not a small deal. Yeah, City were City were actually quite keen to knock down the idea that because mm. there was a story a few weeks ago that he was actually being lined up to replace Guardiola. Right. They were very quick to knock that down, not just in the sense of protecting the idea that Guardiola might not stay beyond this summer, but they just didn't want that out there also it seemed for a while that he might be going to New York which again wouldn't rule him out of City in future because they've done that Dominic Torrent left City to and go to hasn't. New York and but he hasn't no but exactly he hasn't yeah. I think there's a vibe he doesn't quite fancy and also again if we're going back to this kind of conspiracy theory level thinking that Guardiola is going to leave and everyone's covering it up you wouldn't go and manage New York and then need to leave in July when the season's just starting because you need to you might be needing him back in Manchester so yeah there's a few different things to consider so just before we let you go then Sam how would you describe the mood around City at the moment frustrated I suppose frustrated because in putting this piece together that I wrote on for Monday morning you know you, you go and you speak to people who know the players and some, you know people who know the manager and that kind of thing and everything comes back oh you know what the players are fine there's, there's you know there's not been any bust ups I've not heard of anything untoward or anything like that and I'm thinking is this just you know some kind of a murder? You know they're not not talking to anyone. Is it a big shutdown? Fortunately, I then spoke to David and he <laughs> heard the same thing. You know the truth is it's a it's a bit more boring. It's a combination of factors, you know, injuries, tactics, that kind of thing, fatigue. Well, that's, 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 and it's that's normal, isn't it? Normal, it happens. Isn't it? And also, yeah. I mean, complacency is the big word that people don't want to say. I don't think it is that, but it just yeah, lost company, lost Delph in terms of motivators. So the players aren't maybe being you know g'd up to the same extent. They're tired. You know, if they change the game for Burnley on Tuesday night. Who are they going to put in? They can't put Sani in. They can't put Aguero in. They're injured. They yeah. can't make changes in the midfield. But they could put Foden in. Foden's pretty much the only one. Or they could put Fernandinho back in midfield, which he's not going to do, I don't think. So I think they're just frustrated because the players are looking around and they're the same as us, going, what is going on? What's, look, we can't quite break these teams down. We can't quite play with the same fluidity. And I think frustrated, yeah. I would stick with frustrated. I, there's no big crisis, as far as I know. There's no big crisis. No. It's just a combination of factors and the fact that Liverpool's level is so high, they're even further away than they perhaps might have been. And let's not forget that they've done better than most previous champions the seasons after that they've won the titles. You know, there are teams who have fallen right off, slipped out of the Champions League. City have won it back-to-back twice, uh, back-to-back titles, and and they're still second in the table. It's not ideal, but I don't think there's anything that we're we're not... Massively privy to. Sorry, it can be boring. We don't. We, <laughs> yeah, don't, yeah. Uh, we don't have to be sensationalists to get subscriptions or downloads yet. Yet. Well, yeah. For now, two weeks in. Sam, thank you very much. Thank you. Guys. Cheers, Sam. And let me just point you in the direction of a couple of other podcasts from the Athletic. The uh, specialist Arsenal one. Are you going to be on that this week? David? Yeah, you're oh, not. sorry. Seriously, honestly, <laughs> if if we're going to do this, you're going to have to pay more attention to me that, when that I'm talking. That was bad. That what was were you really doing? Uh, I'm, I'm hoping you were checking the source, but I have a feeling you might have been playing Candy Crush. No, well, I don't, I don't even have games yeah. on my phone. Don't you? No. Not a not single game? No, not at all. I don't go, well, I do go to some games, but I don't go to many games. I don't play games. I'm boring <laughs> and I just do my work. And You don't play games? No, uh, not. For, I haven't played games for about 
15, 20 like years. board games at home? Oh, anything? yeah, sometimes board games if right. if, if it, a day off work on Christmas Day or something. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you give yourself Christmas Day off, do you? I, I, actually, there was actually a really... I was going to mention earlier when we were talking about Arsenal. I didn't go... I was going to go to the game on Thursday night, Eintracht yeah. Frankfurt, but I didn't for the very specific reason that it, there was a feeling that if things didn't go right, there could be an issue with Emery. Yeah. And I know that at these games, you don't get a decent phone signal. Uh, you might get a bit of Wi-Fi, but you can't make the calls you need. Yes. So I stayed away in right. the, an area with good coverage, which is rare in the UK, and managed to pursue the story <coughs> without disruption. Well, well, well done. Anyhow, back to my original question. By the way, I was told to make this bit really interesting so that people don't switch off. Uh, but, <laughs> Bad and, start. And this will be keeping people listening, let me tell you. Anyhow, uh, the, the the Arsenal podcast, are you on that this week? Uh, no. All oh, right. No, okay. No, excellent. I've not made the cut. So, handbreak off. Lee Dixon will be back on it this week. Uh, Arsenal fans, you will want to listen to that. And also, Michael Cox's new pod, the Zonal Marking podcast, is a Freddie Lundberg special. Uh, I'm told uh, Michael will be presenting that uh, in Justice Calvin Klein's. So, the Zonal Marking pod, a Freddie Lundberg special. Uh, you'll be able to download that as well from the Athletic Stable. Uh, now, let's bring another Athletic reporter who delivered an exclusive over the weekend. You could hear him sniggering in the background about uh, David's refusal to play any kind of games. Uh, do you have a favourite game, Adam Leventhal? Well, I don't normally right. play games, right. but just to let you into a little bit of a sort of an insight into, you know, how we how we operate at The Athletic, I was actually away for the last week right. um, and having to cover the Watford story sort of on location. So I was in Australia and I was in Abu Dhabi when the when the news was sort of being developed. Get you and on the well on the flight. Paying you too much. I was playing football manager, you <laughs> see, which which I had I'd not really played much, and I was playing on an iPad. So I just thought, yeah, I actually for the first time in ages have actually played a game because I had some long haul flights to sort of hang around on and whilst I was also doing work I was work related know. research football for, yeah, well, yeah. That's, whenever I play football manager I always <laughs> tell my family it's research uh, the, the football manager 2020 was that? it was and, yeah. who, and it was. had you put yourself in as manager of Watford? yeah and you know what happened? did you get relegated? I well no what happened was I had a great season and this is dead on I had a great season finished 11th and then the next season, I couldn't win a game. And then I got sacked, and then I took over at Leeds. So, um, so yeah, it was, uh, it was uh, reality in, in both senses, really. So have you applied for the actual Watford job? And, it, and if yeah. not, who do you think is in the running? Well, at the moment, I haven't, but I'd probably be in for a good shout of, of getting it because it seems as if it's a little bit um, of an open book at the moment. And it, it's... It's a really difficult situation for them because they're not usually in this sort of scenario. They usually have their next man lined up um, almost well in advance of the person that is currently in the job being sacked. Yeah. So this is the first time in ages that they've actually given, given themselves some room to think or, if you look at it a different way, they're scrabbling around to try and find someone who would be willing to do it. As you as you say, and in fact, in the in the sort of meeting we had before the before we we recorded the podcast, we were all talking about how every time they fire someone, Watford, the new man is in place. Sometimes within hours, the the statement yeah. comes out. So does the fact that does the fact that the, the new man isn't in place at the time of recording this does that indicate indecision amongst those making the decision? 
or does it indicate that it had got so bad under Kike Sanchez Flores that they just had to get rid and then work out what they were going to do? I think it, what it reflects is that they, they have been thinking about the next man for at least the last week. They started to consider other options after the, the home game against Burnley, and they gave Kike Sanchez Flores around about 48 hours to, to pretty much convince them. And that meant sitting down with him, having a long conversation on the Sunday, and then seeing how the team trained on the Tuesday. And they said then, well, OK, let's, let's kick on and we'll give you another opportunity. So they were already thinking about it, but they did give him a chance to make good against Southampton. And then the way that it all panned out against Southampton, the fact that, you know, Watford were winning up until the 78th minute, he didn't really change it when he could have changed it and kicked on. He was a little bit mm. negative. He didn't bring on Troy Deeney and things like that. Then it was the case that they thought, right, well, time has run out. And I suppose it's a difficult situation. If you're giving someone another chance, you can't have someone waiting in the wings, you know, as Boris Johnson yeah. would put it, oven ready to go, you know, just, just waiting. Um, so there was always going to be a, a bit of a, a lag and that's what's, you know, playing out at the moment. The fact that they put uh, Hayden Mullins in charge with Graham Stack alongside him for, for the game uh, tomorrow on Wednesday. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's a difficult situation for them because they have to try and now convince someone to come in to a team that's got eight points, six points from safety. And seemingly the, the players seem to be the, you know, the tail wagging the dog at the moment because they, they weren't having Javi Grafia they certainly weren't having Kike Sanchez Flores. They're, they're happy and, he's gone, you know, are they? Well, yeah, that's how it seems right. at the moment. You know, they, they'd sort of, the, what I was hearing, they'd lost trust, they'd lost faith. They weren't really convinced, even though at the beginning they liked the defensive tactics and the fact that they were a little bit more solid. They then felt it was holding them back. And you know, they, they need to try and sort of, it was put to me by one source that the, the team had stalled and they needed someone to kick-start them again, and that's the, that's the person that they're looking for now. Just a couple more things, though. And there was a line that you said after the, they had had a long chat with him on the Sunday, mm. they then watched training on Tuesday. Yeah. Now, is that normal for the decision-makers at Watford to watch training? But... Uh, and, and secondly, the, it also seems like that makes quite a lot of sense to, to oversee it from somewhere just to see atmosphere and relationships. Hmm. Yeah, and uh, look, one of the accusations from outside of Watford is always, oh, the owners don't know what they're doing. They change their managers and they have no sort of faith in, in anyone. That's not that's not true. They're, they're, they are really invested in in the club. You know, there's not many owners like Gino Pozzo who has an office at the training ground who regularly mixes with the players. Uh, the the chairman and chief executive Scott Duxbury also an office at the training ground. The the technical director Filippo Giraldi he's also there as well. So, I suppose it wouldn't have been strange for them to pitch up and watch training and try and sort of speak to players and find out how things were going. So, you know, that wasn't a strange scenario for them. And it, was, it, it is a sensible thing to do. I suppose the only sort of way of, I know you were talking about flip sides earlier on, but, but you know, the, on the flip side of that is that maybe you have a situation where you've got the, the hierarchy maybe a bit too close, maybe watching things a bit too closely. Mm. But at the end of the day, you know, they own the club, they run the club, and they're the ones who are going to be suffering in their back pockets if the club go down. So they... 
you know, are they micromanaging or are they just being, you know, diligent? It's, it's, it's difficult to to split those two, really. Uh, and a final one, because uh, you said it's a bit of an open book, really, here. So, mm. so rather than a name, what do you know what type of manager they want? Uh, there, there was a, another good article, uh, Michael Cox, on, on The Athletic last week about expected goals. And under Javi Grazia, mm. Watford would have been mid-table, top half, under Kike Sanchez-Flores, they were about where they where they should be. But do, do they want someone to improve them defensively or actually help them put the ball in the back of the net? Because they create the chance, or they did create the chances under Javi Grazia. Mm. Yeah, I mean, look, there's there's a lot of things to throw into the mix with Watford at the moment. They, they, they got the defence seemingly sorted under Kike Sanchez-Flores and then that uh, made them less potent going forward. But they did also have injuries involved up front, which didn't help the situation. They didn't have Dini. They lost uh, Danny Welbeck. Ismail Assar, who'd just come in, they'd spent a lot of money on. He was injured as well. So they were left with Gerard Delefeu up top and uh, Pereira as well playing up top in a situation where they weren't able to you know, hold the ball up. So they were having to try and play a very sort of counter-attacking game. And there wasn't much confidence there. So what they now need, now that they're getting their players back and fit, is a manager who can play his best players in the best system. And that's what they're looking for at the moment. And I think their feeling was that Kike Sanchez-Flores was being too safety conscious and just saying, right, we're definitely going to have five at the back and I'm going to stick with that hook or by crook. What they need now is someone to be a little bit progressive and just try something because... They've already tried being defensive. That's not worked. They've tried to be more uh, free-flowing with Javi Graffia. That didn't work either. So come in and try try something different to, to the last man. Otherwise, you're going to end up like the last man, if that makes sense. That, may, that does make sense. Adam, thank you for being on. We will talk soon. The Athletics' Adam Leventhal uh, the on uh, the Ornstein Adam Chapman podcast. Let's finish uh, with uh, a few questions that have come in for you. Uh, David, let's start with uh, Riley. Are you expecting the January transfer window to be busy for the Premier League clubs? Well, the January window has become mm, less and less popular among Premier League clubs. Um, The odd permanent signing, um, certainly rarely a a big level of expense, um, only if a remarkable opportunity comes up or something specifically identified as as um, sort of forward planning. So bringing in a centre-half like Eimerick Laporte, as Manchester mm-hmm. City did in January, really with an eye on the following season when Vincent Company was leaving or the fact that City just needed to bolster defensively anyway uh, ahead of the next season. Loans will be, will be popular again, I'm sure. More and more clubs um, are targeting the summer windows. In fact, most clubs plan around being ready for the summer rather than being ready for January. So I think it's an, a time for emergencies, a time um, for a bit of forward planning, a time for a few loans, but nothing spectacular. Famous last words. <laughs> uh, Adam Taylor, interesting point this. Given that a manager is integral to the running of a club and can determine whether they increase their income and position in the table and gain silverware, shouldn't their release clause fee be a lot higher than, as you mentioned earlier with Brendan Rodgers, around 14 million pounds shouldn't shouldn't it be higher shouldn't it be the equivalent i suppose adam's saying to signing a, a big name player 
Yeah, it just never is the way. It's as simple as that. The game doesn't... It's a good point, though, isn't it? Yeah, it's a really good point. And, and also, why don't clubs spend as willingly on managers as they would do on players, seeing as a manager is the most important part of the machine, arguably? Um, why don't Arsenal go out and, and get exactly who they want at whatever cost? Like, you know, they spent £72 million on Nicolas Pepe in the summer mm. and he's sitting on the bench at the moment. Um, but it's just not done. Um, they aren't seen as such valuable assets with the resale value that players are. And so um, why bring managers in at, at such expense? But when... then I suppose if the market developed that way, then maybe you would have... Yeah, well, you would it, have it, resale value. Maybe I don't. I it, don't know. If you're could... my, I mean, if you take that Leicester example, if Leicester sign Brendan Rodgers from Celtic and then sell him on to Arsenal, there is the resale value. If you see it, would, it would be really niche though, because yeah. most managers get sacked, and so yes. they're they're readily available in a way that players aren't. Uh, do you envisage Ole Gunnar Solskjaer being in trouble anytime soon, says Man United 464? Well, it's our understanding that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is safe for now and that um, he is not in imminent threat of the sack uh, and that United have a vision and a plan and, and they're sticking to it and they believe in what uh, Ole's vision is and they started planning for the transfer window of next summer in the September just gone, so... Uh, but let's not get away from the fact that United's results are precarious and I don't think it would be a huge surprise if he was sacked soon and certainly um, possibly before the end of the season and especially because we know there are so many, um, potentially so many um, sought-after managers and head coaches on the market next summer. But if results pick up, United will stick with him because they, they want him to succeed. Uh, David's column drops every single Monday on The Athletic. There is a lovely uh, story in it this week about Tony Pulis and Adama Traore. Yeah. But I'm not going to say any more of that. <laughs> You'll have to read it. Uh, uh, yeah, well, that's the point. Uh, Theathletic.co.uk. Subscribe, read in depth David's column, all the other stories we've discussed. And actually, if you head there now, you'll get a 40% discount by using the promo code UKPOD. So the promo code UKPOD, uh, theathletic.co.uk, you'll get a 40% discount. All our podcasts, though, are completely free. As we said, plenty more coming this week, including Michael Cox and a Freddie Lundberg special on zonal marking, Lee Dixon on the Arsenal podcast, Handbrake Off. Uh, that's it. We will be back next week uh, with even more. Thanks very much, Leslie. Cheerio. Cheerio.